Open your Bible, if you would, to Psalm 111. We've been studying um, the Psalms this summer. Again, the verse, our scripture memory verse, great are the works of the Lord studied by all who delight in them come from this. It's also the basis for one of my favorite podcasts called The Bible Bible Talk. And so it's by nine marks. You get a chance to check it, and they start with Genesis, and they just work their way through. They just talk through the text. It's fantastic. It's going to be helpful for you, but they repeat this verse every time. It's like, man, it's a fantastic verse. So that's why we're studying it today. Back in July 6, 2016, years ago, a developer named Niantic collaborated with Nintendo to publish a mobile platform game. It had this crazy concept of using your phone to find things that were geotagged in a location, and by using augmented reality, you could complete challenges. The game was called, some of you know, Pokemon Go. How many of us losers, like myself, you did Pokemon Go? So anybody else? What? That's only a couple of you? Man, <laughs> we really are losers. <laughs> so for the rest of you losers that didn't, 232 million people did do it that year. So apparently you weren't there. So you didn't join in. Um, but to play, you had to actually move your body. So it's different as opposed to most of the video games where you sit on a couch and you do nothing. This one you had to actually move. You had to go to different locations. And the last church that we were at where I was a youth pastor in Richmond, our, our, our church sign was a pokey stop. So all of a sudden you just see like people meandering there. And they're just like standing there and then they're looking at their phones like, oh, they're Pokemon players. Because they're trying to catch them all, right? That's what they're trying to do, Pokemon. So throughout the game, you're trying to seek these stops constantly trying to seek the next location, the next thing to try to get bigger and better as time goes on. But a huge benefit was given to those people that lived next to a Pokestop, or you worked next to a Pokestop, where you could just, without moving, continue to rack up the points. There's something about seeking something that you want, and then there's something about staying where you're at to enjoy the continued benefits of that. Does that make sense? This idea is what we'll get in our Psalm 111 text. We're going to see there's something to be sought after, but there's also something to stay in and enjoy. Something that we can find that there's great pleasure forevermore in this one spot. Where is that? Let's read Psalm 11. We'll find that out. Plus, we will also see amazing descriptions of our Lord. So I told my boys driving here, I, I feel like today I'm trying to empty the Pacific, or the Atlantic with a teaspoon. This text is so fantastic. There's so many descriptions of our God in here, and it's like we're going to be scooping this out, and I just hope that you get something by the end that, man, our God is amazing. He is fantastic. So let's read about him in Psalm 111. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord. Studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts, all of them, are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. 
He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. First, we see we are to praise the Lord. Look at verse number one. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. What are we to do? We're to praise the Lord. The psalmist says he praises the Lord, but he commands us to join him in praising the Lord. Now, this one verse tells us not just what we are to do, who is to praise, how we are to praise, and where we are to praise. What are we to do, right? Who is to do it? How are we to do it? And where are we to do it? All in verse 1. What are we to do? Praise the Lord. Who is to praise? Right? We're commanded all praise the Lord. How are we to praise? With our whole heart. Matthew twenty two thirty seven. God says, Jesus said, right? Love the Lord your God with, with what? With all your heart. With all of it. With your whole heart. How are we to praise? With our whole heart. Where are we to praise? In the company of the upright. In the congregation. Now, let me add a side note. You are allowed to praise God outside of the assembly, but there is something about being with his people, praising him. To sing out, all hail the glorious Christ. Oh, praise the Lord of life, for by his sacrifice he won the victory. And there's something about this that's just sweet. Stayed upon Jehovah. Hearts are fully blessed finding, as he promised, perfect peace and restoration for reminding each other, man, God is great. He's amazing. Look at all he's done. So we are to praise in the congregation for where two are gathered in his name. That's where he is in their midst. Matthew 18, 20 tells us. Now, why would we praise? Why would we praise the Lord? And he's going to take verse 2 through 9 to describe to you many reasons why you should be praising the Lord. I tried to group them into four sections, but again, we could stay here and sit here for a long time. First, let's look at how God works majestically. He works majestically. Verse two, great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them, full of splendor and majesty is his work and his righteousness endures forever. We know God is great, but you have to understand for who God is that how he acts, how he responds, his action is equal to his character. So God is holy, but he also acts holy. God is great, but he also does great things. So his character and his action are the same. The descriptions of him and what he does, that we want people, right, to put their money where their mouth is. We don't want somebody who says one thing and does another. God does not do this. What he is, he does. So this text tells us great are his works. He's great, but also he does great things. And it says studied by all who delight in them. This word studied, it, it can go a lot of different ways when you're trying to translate this. You could say it's to seek. You could say it's to find. You could say it's to study. It's to sit in. But it's all of the above. Like that Pokemon Go person who lives at a pokey stop, you can continue to reap the benefits, yet you're still seeking to expand your little Pokemon Go kingdom. In this same sense, a believer will sit in the works of the Lord and just marvel. 
but they'll also leave that spot to realize there's more to explore. Like a little hobbit in the cave with a dragon, and there's gold and jewels all around you. You realize smog's covering more glories that are here to tell. I can keep going everywhere I go. There's more and more and more. Christian, when we see the great works of the Lord, it should cause in us almost like salt water, like I have to have more of this. I need another drink. I need another drink. Where salt water will kill you, the beauty of God will just astound you. Great are his works. And those that delight in him, because if you say, I, I'm a Christian, I delight in the Lord, then this will be your path. If you delight in him, then you will continue to seek after and sit in, mentally, the works of God. This is amazing. So when you wake up tomorrow morning, and the accuser of the brethren stares you in that mirror, and reminds you of your faults and your failures, and how many times that you have gone astray, and you sit in the work of God, I am redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I am his child. I am loved. I receive his grace. I receive his mercy. Great are the works of the Lord. Man, he's faithful to me. When I wake up tomorrow, he'll be faithful again. Great are the works of the Lord. Studied, sat in, sought after by all who delight in him. We marvel at beautiful things. My wife and I on our vacation for our 20th, we took over a thousand pictures because we have phones and we don't buy film anymore. Right? We probably would have taken 36 if we <laughs> had film. <laughs> but we took pictures everywhere because everything's beautiful. Like, this is amazing. We marvel at beautiful things. There was uh, an amazing rainbow. Was it uh, last week or a week or two ago? And you saw on Facebook, everybody's posting the same picture from a different angle, showing the beauty of the Lord. Rainbows are great. They're full of splendor. Then you get to see a double rainbow. Oh, double rainbow. Wait until you meet the creator of the rainbow. You want to see splendor. Seeing watching a horse gallop in a field or an eagle soaring over the mountains is majestic. Wait until you meet their creator. You say, well, man, I, I've seen some pretty cool things. You should see, I mean, I've seen some amazing, beautiful things. You know what the psalmist would say? You ain't seen nothing yet. You ain't seen nothing yet. Because the heavens declare the glory of God. What we see is but a dull reflection of who he is and what he's done. Like, man, that's beautiful. No, that, that's, like, that's like the outside of an orange. Wait till you open it up and taste it. He's deeper. He's purer. He's more magnificent than you can imagine. Great are his works. He's full of splendor. Verse 3, majesty is in his works. And not just is he beautiful and does amazing, beautiful things, his righteousness is forever. He's also just. To his core, he will do what is right. Will not the Lord of all the earth do what is right? Absolutely. And praise the Lord he is. So he does great and beautiful things. He is great and beautiful as well, but he's completely just and righteous. What a mighty God we serve. Next, he tells us that he gives abundantly. Look at verses 4 through 6. You'll see this personal pronoun, he, four times. 
he has caused, right? His wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. Verse 5, he provides for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant. And in each one of these instances, he's giving abundantly. He's caused his wondrous works to be remembered. You're like, what on earth does that mean? That he caused his wondrous works to be remembered. Like, he, he makes us remember his works? Yeah. But also, he commands us to remember his works. Do you remember in our study of Exodus, when we saw God free, he redeemed his people out of slavery to himself to bring them to the mountain of God to give them his law. Here's how you can live with me forever. Here are the rules that you ought to abide by so we can have common fellowship. And I'll walk with you to land. We can be in the garden, a garden-like setting again. You'll be with God in the garden, living by his rule. He's on the throne. We're back. That was where we're trying to get to. They were commanded, though, on the way to do something every year. What were they commanded to do every year? Recreate the Passover. Recreate it. Remember in our, our study of Exodus, we, we, we talked about the Passover lamb being slain. And, and before, when they were setting up the tabernacle, when they set up the tabernacle at the end of Exodus, they could not enter, like we read in our text in Revelation 15. They could not enter until, in Leviticus, the lamb was slain. To be in the presence of God as sinful holy people, something has to die. Something has to take our place. In the Old Testament, it was a picture. It was a lamb, the sacrificial lamb, the scapegoat, both of those being true of our Savior. He took our sin. He died for us. But in the Old Testament, he's like, remember, I delivered you, but something had to die in order for you to have fellowship with me. In the New Testament, we fast forward. Jesus had to die. That way we could have full and final fellowship with him so we could walk with our savior and he could not just be on us but be in us and guide us and direct us he is amazing in his works but he's caused us to remember them so it was passover for the children of israel plus other feasts that they did and tabernacles that they did for us as christians you remember a couple weeks ago we did a thing called communion is that commanded? Absolutely. This do in remembrance of me. What do we do when we take communion? We remember his blood being poured out. We remember his body being broken. He causes us to remember, don't forget what I've done for you. Don't forget. For his own glory and for your own sake. Don't forget what I have done. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. And that recall reminds us every time God is gracious, as it says in verse 4, and he is merciful. Right? Grace is God giving to us what we don't deserve, and mercy is God keeping from us what we do. When we take communion, man, he's gracious. He is merciful. Like in Exodus, verse 5 recalls that God can give and provide, right? It says he can give food, whether it's manna in the wilderness whether it's oil for the widow of Zarephath or whether it's a meal for your struggling family, that's your neighbor. He can provide for his own. He led his people to the promised land. As we continue to read in the verse, 
right? He gives them, gives them this covenant. Look at verse number five again. He provides food for them, those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He made a covenant with Abraham to have a land, a seed, and a blessing. And he always keep his promise. So he led them into the promised land, and he gave them the seed of Abraham, the son of David, the Messiah, the anointed one. And through Christ, all the nations would be coming to him, right? All the nations of the world would be blessed. And what do we read in verse 6? He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. These people inherited the land. They took over what the nations had given them, and they took the spoils of what was given them. But a greater inheritance was coming. Because in the end, when upon that mountain, when all the gathered, when all the redeemed gathered to sing, as we sang earlier, when we gather on that mountain, all the nations will come to praise the Lord. As David wrote in Psalm 86.9, listen to this from David in 86.9 and 10. All nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. All nations will come and glorify. Now, why would they do that, David? And he's going to give an answer. Listen to his answer and tell me this does not sound, sound like uh, Psalm 111. All nations will worship and glorify. Why? Verse 10, for you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. He's the only God. There's only one. He does great things and he does wondrous things. Is that all what our text is talking about today? He does amazing things. It's because he's alone is God. That's all, that, that's all there is to it. And that's why some think the Apostle John borrowed from these verses in Revelation 15, which was our text reading today, which Miss Becky read for us. In Re Revelation 15, 3, listen as I read Revelation 15, 3 and think through some of the verses that we've gone through here in Psalm 111. And they sing the song of Moses. So already we're going back to the Exodus and his deliverance, the Passover, the commandments that are there, the feeding of the food with manna. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just or righteous and true are your ways, O King of the nations. This is who he is. This is who he is. So from old to new, from a thousand years before Jesus until time and time beyond us. We see the story being true that there is one God, this great three in one. We'll get to that in a little bit. The great three in one. But he does amazing things. And he's causing, with this covenant, all nations to come to himself. So they can worship him and glorify him together in his presence, in fellowship with him for all time. Praise God. What a mighty God we serve. He also works faithfully. Look at verse 7 and 8. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. God's works are faithful, just, or righteous. His ways, his precepts are trustworthy. They are eternally established. They're performed in faithfulness and uprightness. All this to say that what God says he will do, he will do. And whatever he says is trustworthy and reliable and upright. Now, Brad, nicely here, who does our music. Thanks, Brad. I'm calling you out in the middle of the service. Sorry, I should have asked ahead of time. 
but Brad picked the music for today. Right? We did not talk about this, but I mean, think of the overlap some of these songs that we sang. And say to, say to upon Jehovah, they who trust him fully find him wholly true. What are we saying there? What he says he will do, he will do. And I can trust his word because he will deliver. He will deliver. What God says he will do, he will do all of a sudden. So if you think of these verses, look at verse 7 and 8. And if you change one of those, just change one of them to being the opposite. Our great God falls apart into a mess. I mean, think through each one of these words. If he's no longer uh, faithful, well, that's, that's a problem. That's a problem if God's not faithful, but he's the rest of these things. Or imagine if he's unjust. Or what if his precepts and his words or his ways, what if, what if they were dishonest instead of trustworthy? What if God dishonorably performed his works? All of a sudden, he's no longer a God of grace and mercy doing wondrous, crazy, indescribably good works. But he's a fickle tyrant whom you dare not meet on his bad day. But praise the Lord. He is faithful, just, trustworthy, eternal, upright, and does acts in accordance with who he is. What a mighty God we serve. And then he also gives personally, verse 9, he sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. He sent redemption. He sent redemption. He did that. God sent his son for our redemption. Galatians 4, 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of the woman, born under the law. Why? To redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. He sent his son. God the Father sent personally, gave us the son. The son personally gave up himself. And in John 20, 22, the son breathed on the disciples to give them the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us himself as he guides us and directs us in the way we ought to go until we cross that line and see our Savior face to face. And to be honest, he had to. In each one of these things, he had to do it. Why did he have to do it? Because if you keep reading in our verse here, it says he sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. He said he would. So you go back to the covenant. We go back to the garden. And you have Adam and Eve who blow it all. Right? They blow it. They choose. We want to be gods. We don't want to be ruled by God. And let's all be honest. We would have blown it all too. So they blew it. Fellowship with God is broken. Judgment's going to come down. They're going to be squashed. But grace and mercy come from our Savior. As he speaks to them, there's still natural consequences for their sin. Right? They're kicked out of the land. They lose fellowship with the Lord. But a promise, a covenant is made. He will, through the seed, through the woman, raise up a seed, a descendant from the woman that will crush the serpent's head, that will bring us salvation. From the very beginning, a covenant was made to provide salvation for his people. We find out as we continue to read Genesis that it's through the seed of the woman, but it's going to come through the line, 
descendants of Abraham, whom we have a land, a seed, and a blessing. And all the nations of the world will be blessed. So God's going to keep that promise too. We found at the end of Genesis, it's going to come not just through a woman from the line of Abraham, but also a woman from the line of Abraham, specifically from the tribe of Judah. And he's going to rule and reign as a king. The scepter will not depart from his hand from the book of Numbers. As we fast forward to David getting a covenant from the Lord, specifically his Davidic line. We're looking for this Messiah, this anointed one, who will rule forever over all the nations. As we just went through in Psalm 22 in the last two weeks, his hands, though, would have to be pierced. While people are mocking him as he's dying and they're tearing his garments and ga gambling for them, or not tearing his garments, but holding on and gambling for his garments. We saw early in Psalm 2, he's going to be this resurrected king. This is who we're looking for. He made a promise to these people thousands of years ago. And what he said he would do, guess what? He did it. The seed of the woman, the seed of Abraham, the seed of Judah, the lion from the tribe of Judah, from the line of King David is Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, who did come, who did die, who did rise, who did ascend on high and still lives today. It's interesting on behalf of his own. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was punished for our iniquities. But by his stripes, we are healed. He had to send his son. He had to send redemption because he promised he would. Praise God. Christian, when he says he will never leave you or forsake you, it's a promise. As sure as a promise made in the garden. He will be with you. That's why he wraps up this description in verse number nine. And he says, holy and awesome is his name. He's holy, right? And if he's holy, we should be falling down like Isaiah. Woe is me, I am undone. Why are we even singing here? Remove all the chairs and let's fall on our face for the Lord because none of us are worthy. As we sang, he's worthy of it all. We can't approach him. He's holy, yes. He's also awesome. He does amazing things that stupefy us, like sending his son to die for rebels, enemies of the cross of Christ, to gather them in, to pluck them from the fire, to make them his own. What a mighty God we serve. So that's why we sing. That's why we praise. That's why we shout. That's why we <laughs> clap your hands, all you peoples. You know, I know we're not supposed to clap in church except for when the Bible tells us to clap. Like somehow we left that out. Can't show emotion here. We're crazy. We're wackadoodles sometimes, aren't we? He's amazing. He's worthy of our praise. So praise him. Praise him, not just for who he is, but for what he does. And I think you'll find out that they overlap because they are consistent. What God says he is, he is. So lastly, we are to praise the Lord. Second, we are to fear the Lord. Look at verse number 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Understanding what we just read about who the Lord is. 
Understanding how amazing and wondrous and full of splendor he is. And understanding all of that gives, that he gives abundantly, he gives himself personally, ought to cause us to fear him rightly. This is just practical wisdom. There's that sense of like, he's that great. But in order to get there, you have to sit. You have to contemplate and think through. Who is he is? Who is he? Great are the works of the Lord. We, we know that. We've heard of this. But they're sought after and they're studied by all who delight in him. And for those that delight in him and sit and study and seek and go after, there's a sense of, man, I should not be in his presence. But he allows me in his presence. I shouldn't be able to talk to him, but he allows me to talk to him. I shouldn't be allowed to serve him. But he allows me to. I, I shouldn't be able to tell other people about him. But he actually commands me to do it. One author said this, the conclusion drawn from the wonderful works of the Lord is that reverence for him is fundamental for wise living. If we believe what we read in Psalm 111, then we will praise and fear him. Knowing his precepts, his words are trustworthy, we will then practice them. And by his grace and mercy, we will get to be a part of praising him. Because it says at the very end, his praise will endure forever. Our, our minds struggle with that concept, right? Forever. Some, some of us here that like singing wonder why the music team stops after three or four songs. Let's get the train rolling. Come on, keep it going. I want to sing for 45 minutes. If that's not you, get your heart right because that's where I'm at. I love singing. You're like, well, that makes our it's going to make our service two hours. I don't care. Right? So for those of you that want to keep it short, because you got lunch and you got plans, or maybe it's just like, I, I stink at singing, so I want to get out of this. Whatever that reason is, can you imagine for all eternity, praise going forth to God, and you never get sick of the words or the lyrics? Hearing holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And every time the ground shimmers and you're in, in the new heavens and new earth and going like, it's still amazing. It's still amazing. You hear the elders fall down before the throne. They sing the song of the lamb. It's still amazing. What language do I got to sing that in? Can I join? Forever, the one whom we betrayed, the one whom we rebelled against, the one whom we despised and took the fruit, came, took my sin and yours, spread his arms and died for our sins, rose again and says, come back to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Do you want to know what true peace and contentment is? You'll find it right here. What a mighty God we serve. So what does all this mean for us today? First off, friend, ha have you been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb? And then ask if you've been in church for a long time. If you've read your Bible a lot. 
have you been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb? Early in verse 9, we read that God sent his son as redemption. In, in Galatians 4, God sent his son to redeem the world that we might receive adoption as sons. Friend, when, when I use this term redeem, all I'm trying to say that he can free he, because he has paid your sin. He's paid your sin debt. 2 Corinthians 5, 20 through 21 says, we implore you on behalf of Christ. We implore you, and I do the same today. Be reconciled to God. Reconciliation is God making the worst of enemies the best of friends. For our sake, Paul continues, he made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, meaning he was perfect. Why? So that in him, Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Friend, God can redeem you and reconcile you. He can free you from your sin. He can forgive you for every last one, past, present, and future. He does that by taking your place as the great Passover lamb, as our substitute. He slaps your hand and says, let me take that. All you have to do is receive it. Will you trust him today? To do so, we walk through our ABCs week after week. You need to admit, you need to acknowledge that Jesus is God, but also that you and I, that we are sinners. That's the easy part. We blow it. We go astray often. Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. He did come. He did rise. He did ascend on high, and he still lives today to intercede on behalf of his own. And then you call. You pray. Whoever calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. It's not just a prayer. It's just entering into a relationship with our Savior. I want you to be Lord of my life. Because where else will I turn? For you have the words of life. Friend, if you have questions on how you can do that, see myself, our Christian friend, who you came with. We'd love to walk you through that today. For those that are here that claim to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, let me ask you a couple questions. First, do you seek, seek, and sit in the mighty works of God? Verse 2 says, great are the works of the Lord studied, sought after by all who delight in him. Does this describe your last week? Your last week may have been awful. Did you delight in him? Through the storm? If you did, what would you be doing? Even in the worst of times, seeking the greatness of our God. Is this what you do? Then Christian, by God's grace, may you seek to have eyes to see his mighty works this week. Next, how, how often are you captivated by the Lord's splendor, majesty, and beauty? We know he does amazing works, but he also is amazing. He also is wonderful. He also is beautiful. Let me read this to you. This is not written by myself. It's written by Shailen. He's been a pastor, writer, singer. He's an urban, urban guy. Up, I think he's in Philly. But he wrote this about God being beautiful. This was written over, I think, a decade ago. Beauty is sold in exchange for a dime. Nothing to attract us to you, yet we worship your creation as fine, captured by its forbidden fruit, pleasing our senses, so we suppress the truth and eat the lie. Media's, media's fig leaf, denning our soul and mind, sin blinding us to you, the only objective beauty that's truly absolute, 
hidden in the symmetry of your goodness, glory, and truth, each attribute, working harmoniously, justice with patience, wrath with graciousness, omnipotence with humility, long-suffering with faithfulness, each a note to a sweet melody, the ultimate hymn entitled God's Beauty. Immutable. No change. Because dimes get lost daydreaming in dark gutters, unable to hear the call to wake up. They, the news-stripping honeysuckle lips, pasted on with Mac and makeup, if they truly beheld your beauty, you'd make magazines and Mattel go bankrupt. You sent your beloved to be lifted up on a beautiful, seemingly ugly cross, the visible image of your hiddenness. Only you are beautiful and yet invisible. True beauty is spiritual. Therefore, sanctify our worldly minds. Your complexion, God, is unappealing to lustful eyes. Besides, apart from new birth in Christ, sinners beholding your holy beauty would die. Therefore, beauty residing in the eye of the beholder is a lie. It's found in the beautiful one, the most high. Christian, by faith, seek the beautiful one. Seek him in all his splendor. May all the temptations of this world taste like rotten fruit as you go after your gracious God. Seek the beautiful one, the most high. So lastly, will you join me now in praising our God for being holy and awesome and amazing, doing all these crazy works. Let's do that now. Let's bow for a word of prayer. As we do often, we'll take 30 seconds just to quiet our hearts. Let's do that. Respond as the Lord would have you. Again, friend, if you need to know about the Lord, we would love to walk you through that. You can see myself or a Christian friend. But let's respond right where you're at. God, what would you have me do? Perhaps it's just sitting and savoring the Lord. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for not just giving us above and beyond all that we can ask or think, but Lord, you are above and beyond all that we can think. That there is no end to how great you are. Lord, our languages fail to describe accurately how great you are. The reflections of this world the handiwork of God that we get to see in creation are but mere reflections of who you are. So allow our small brains to not just hear of you, but to know you. May we, in the fear of the Lord, practice that wisdom and believe and worship and serve you because you are amazing. You are holy and you are awesome and you do wondrous things. What a mighty God we serve. And so, God, we give you thanks. Lord, for our, our friends here that have yet to taste the fruit of Jesus Christ, may today be the day of salvation for them. Lord, give them no rest. 
until they come to you. Lord, for my Christian brothers and sisters here at Lexington Baptist Church, would you help us? Lord, we get so distracted. We get so pulled away by the stuff of earth. Trinkets and temptations, Lord, that distract and pull us away from the true savor of our Savior. Lord, would you sanctify our worldly minds? Would you cause us to fall deeply in love with the beautiful one, the Most High? In Jesus' name we pray.